0: You are listening to a message from Adam Reardon at Redemption Church in Belvedere, Illinois. At Redemption Church, we are all about introducing people into a growing relationship with Jesus. If you would like more information, check us out online at redemption.cc. Now stay tuned for today's message. Every single one of us, on some level, if we're completely honest with ourselves, has a preferred future for ourselves. We all have an idea of what, we, what it would take for us to be happy in our lives. And so we would talk about things like if I had the right waist size, if I had the right job, if I had the right income, if I had the right car, if I had the right home, if I had the right spouse, if I had the right family, if I lived in the right place, then I would be happy. And so we kind of pursue this idea of happiness that we would say, hey, there's kind of elements or ingredients of things that I need. And because I lack those things, I can't be happy today. But if I could get those things, then potentially I could be happy or at least happier than I am today. But the reality is is that we cannot consume, acquire, or exercise our way to happiness. In fact, if we really took this to the next level, if we're completely honest, is What we do is we look at the lives of other people, and we take certain elements of other people's lives, and we say, hey, if I could be like him, or if I could be like her, if I could have his job, or if I could look like her, or if I could have their family or their car, and what happens is, is in our minds, we, we do this thing where we, I call it the patchwork self. And what we do is we say, well, hey, if I could have his this, and if I could have her that, and if I could have their this, and their that, and we kind of create this idea of if I had different elements of different people's lives, then somehow I could create one life and I would be happy. Now, here's the thing, and I'm not going to get into this in tons of detail because we have kids in the room. But what happens is, is when we do this, when we take different elements of different people's lives... And we try to form them into one single living creature. You know what that's called? Frankenstein. That's Frankenstein. When you take different elements of other people and put them together to try to be a living thing. And here's what you all know about Frankenstein. Frankenstein's a monster. And the reality is is what happens in your life and my life, when we try to take different elements of other people's lives to make us happy, what we create is Frankenstein in our lives. We create a monster in our lives. We think, if I could just get, or if I could just consume, or if I could just acquire, if I could just have, or if I could just possess, then I would be happy. But the reality is, is we would never be happy. That we tend to try to choose from the highlight reel of other people's lives, but it does not and it will not make us happy. Now, this is really interesting because we live in a culture and we live in a world that tries to convince us that we can consume, that we can get things, that we can acquire and possess, and that we can exercise our way to happiness. But we can't. But there is something we can do. In fact, there's something that every single one of us that we could begin to do today that would actually cause us to be happier in our lives, and it's this. It is actually possible for you and I to serve our way to happiness. Now, here's the thing. I completely get that I'm a pastor, and when you see that line, you can serve your way to happiness, you think, well, you're supposed to say that, you're a pastor. Like, we would expect for you to tell us something like that. So here's, here's what I, I came this morning with. I came with some scientific, scientific facts that I want to share with you because I think they're really, really important. The University of Chicago, <clears throat> a few years ago, did a study about workplace happiness. And what they really began to look at is they said, what career paths cause people to find fulfillment, happiness, health? And what they decided is, is that as they looked at these different things, that they came up with different categories of jobs. And what was really, really fascinating and what they discovered is this, is that after basic needs were met, so after you could... Pay your bills, keep a roof over your head, keep the lights on, and buy groceries. After your basic needs were met, they discovered that the amount of money people made didn't make them any more happy. They decided that in the study that if you made a million dollars or if you made $100,000, the million-dollar person wasn't any happier than the person making $50,000 or $20,000 if, if it came down to these categories were being met in their life. And they said this. They said the most satisfying jobs are jobs where you care for other people, Jobs where you teach others, protect others, or have creative pursuits, so the arts. So, hey, I want to create and draw and do music and those kind of things. I said those are the top jobs where people actually find satisfaction. You know what they found? Is that after a certain money point, more money didn't make them any more happy. What people said is because when I begin to live my life caring for other people, teaching other people, protecting other people, or being sharing my creativity with other people, it actually causes me to be happy. And they looked at people who made less money in these fields of, of, of work compared to people who worked in other fields that made more money, and they discovered that people who made less money but cared for people, taught people, protect people, or shared their creativity with people were happier than the people that made more money but weren't involved in these things. In fact, The UK did a study a couple years ago where they took all the studies over a 20-year span. So they said, hey, if we looked at all the studies about service, volunteerism, mentoring, health, and happiness, is there really a correlation? Their question was, is there a connection between living your life to serve other people, to bless other people, to pour yourself out? Is there a connection between service and actually living a healthier, happier life? And after taking 20 years... Of research, this is what they found. They found that people that volunteer or mentor other people, the people who volunteer or mentor other people actually experience a decrease in depression, heart disease, stress, and drug use. That across the board, they said, hey, scientifically, medically speaking, people who volunteer and serve other people have a decreased level of depression in their lives, heart disease in their lives, stress, and even drug use. Which means what they would actually tell people is if you're struggling with any of these things, one of the greatest things you could do for yourself is actually get involved in programs or environments where you could begin to serve other people, where you could begin to volunteer, where you would begin to use your time, your energy, and your resources, not just for you, but for other people around you. In fact, they found that being a volunteer or a mentor doesn't just decrease things, it actually increases some areas of your lives. They said that volunteering or regularly mentoring people increases your psychological well-being, your physical health, your self-esteem, the longevity of your life, and the quality of your life. They said, hey, look, this, this is a powerful thing that we're missing that we tend to believe our lives are all about ourselves, but they're saying, listen, people who live their lives for other people tend to be happier, and not that they just tend to be happier, they tend to be more fulfilled, they have less stress, their hearts are healthier, they actually live longer, healthier lives. Now, this is what I found really fascinating. At the end of the research, they discovered that people who don't even like volunteering, that it's actually possible to volunteer with a bad attitude and still receive the positive results of volunteering. They said that people who were forced to volunteer, actually, even though they hated volunteering, still experienced the benefits of volunteering and serving others in their lives, which means you could actually serve with a really bad attitude and it still might make a positive influence in your own life. Now, here's what's really interesting. Clinical research, medical research shows that people who volunteer And mentor. And I'm not talking like once a year. I'm talking regularly volunteer, regularly use their lives to influence others, to help others, to serve other people. Clinical research shows that volunteering and mentoring increases your immune system, fights disease, and clinically has even shown to fight cancer. That it is that powerful. That one of the greatest things that you and I can do for our lives is not focus so much on ourselves. You see, we live in a culture and we live in a world that seems to say that everything should be about me, that it should be about my desires, my wants, my interests, that really the best way to live is for me to make sure my needs are met, that my wants are met, that my priorities are at the top of the list. But actually, scientifically and medically and psychologically, it would say, no, 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 there's something significant when you and I make a decision to say we won't live our lives just for ourselves, that we would set aside some of our time, some of our energy, some of our finances, some of our brain power, some of our resources, to say, you know what, I'm not going to use this all for me. I'm going to use my life, my energy, my finances, my brain power to actually serve other people. That actually, one of the ways that we would feel most full, one of the ways that we would feel most satisfied in our lives As when we begin to empty ourselves, to pour ourselves out, to help other people. And see, you would have to ask the question, right? Well, where would that come from? Like, how would it really be true that by emptying ourselves, by actually instead of conserving all of our energy, but pouring our energy out, instead of pooling all our resources, but actually pouring some of it out, how could that possibly fulfill us, make us happy, or cause us to experience joy in our lives. And I think it really comes down to these two words, divine design. Divine design. That you and I were created by God to be like God. That you and I were created in the image of God for a purpose. And that we were actually created to be like Him in the sense that we would live with open hearts, open lives, and open hands to serve other people. That there is something incredibly beneficial There's something incredibly beneficial for your life and my life when we hear the words of Jesus and when we do the things that Jesus has told us to do. Some of those things would be all those one another statements we see in the New Testament. So when Jesus talks about loving one another, caring for one another, serving one another, forgiving one another, my favorite, bearing with one another, carrying one another's burdens, that Jesus says, listen, when you begin to get the one another's right in your life, it actually begins to fulfill you. It actually causes you to be happy. When we take the focus off of living for ourselves and ourselves only, when we begin to pour ourselves out, it actually begins to fill us up. Now, here's what we've talked about so far in the series. What we've talked about is this word, sin. What we've said is that sin separates us from God, that sin separates us from other people. We've even said that sin separates us from ourselves. And one of the things that sin does in your life and my life is sin causes us to become self-centered. That this isn't part of God's design for us. God did not create Adam and Eve in the garden and say, this is all for you, it's all all about you, use it all for yourself. That they were not created to be self-centered. They were actually created to live for something bigger than themselves. But sin causes us to think that the world revolves around us. Sin and brokenness causes us to think that it's all about me and it's all about you and that you will be happiest when you focus on you and I will be happiest when I focus on me. But that's simply not true. It's not how God has created us. In fact, I think one of the things we have to do is continue. You hear me say this all the time. I think one of the things we continue to have to do is we have to fix our eyes on Jesus. We have to see the truth. We have to know the truth. We have to wrestle with the truth. Paul says it this way. We have to continue to renew our minds. right? We have to see the truth. We have to wrestle with the truth because our minds tell our hearts what to do and that what we think eventually is what we become. And so what happens is, one of the things we have to do is we have to fix our eyes on Jesus. In fact, if we truly want to be happy, we said this time and time again, that if we truly want to be happy, we have to know who Jesus is that our level of happiness really begins with who Jesus is, what he's done for us, and our relationship with him. In fact, I think, I think the reason that pouring ourselves out causes us to be happy is because we, when we serve other people, we tend to be the most like Jesus. In fact, I love the words of Paul in Philippians. The church in Philippi was wrestling with this, and Paul says, no, 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 you, you need to remember who Jesus is. Remember what Jesus was like. You have to remember what Jesus did. And so I want us to see the, the, Paul's description of Jesus this morning in Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. I love this because, because Paul sets up such a great argument, right? He says this, he goes, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, and being in full accord and of one mind. Here's what Paul's saying, right? He's, he's speaking to the, the, the church just like he's speaking to us. He goes, hey, if you love Jesus at all, if there's any encouragement in the gospel for you, like if you tend to know that God loves you and has forgiven you for your sins, that Jesus rose on the third day so that you might have salvation and life and redemption, he goes, listen, if you have any of that, then here's what I want you to think like. I want you to renew your mind. I want you to think about this. Now, here's Paul's argument. If you choose not to do this, it must be because you have no love of Jesus. You have no encouragement. You have no sympathy. So you just think a different way because you don't belong to him. Paul's going, listen, if you believe in Jesus, then we should be like Jesus. And then this is what he does next. He tells us that this is the takeaway. He tells us what to do. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility come others more significant than yourselves let each of you look not only to his own interests but also to the interests of others he goes here's what you do here's like the practical takeaway here's what you should do when you when you begin to go home this morning this is how you should live your lives differently it's not all about you everything you own isn't for you all your time isn't for you all your energy isn't for you He says, listen, walk in humility. Listen, you can still be concerned about your interests, but be also interested in what other people got going on. Don't just be concerned about you, be concerned about others. Don't just be concerned about whether your needs are being met, be concerned if other people's needs are being met. That there should be this thing in our lives that marks us with humility. That we we would know that we are not the greatest person in the room. That when we walk in a room, that it's not that everybody else is there to serve us, but when we walk in a room, it's an opportunity for us to serve every other person there. And then he gives us the example. He was saying, I just want to tell you why you should do this. I want to show you who Jesus is. Verse 5. He says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by being becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Now, now here's, here's what I think Paul is saying here, and I want you to see this. When Paul says in verse 5, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. I think in, in Christ, yours in Christ Jesus, I think, means at least two things. The first thing I think he means is really the most practical one. He goes, that you see this example in Jesus. That when you look at the life of Jesus, you see that he was humble, that he loved other people. He was more concerned about other people's interests than he was concerned about his own interests. That when Jesus didn't walk in the room, he did not always elevate himself to be the most important person in the room, even though he was. And I think then there's a greater meaning that he says, this is beyond you to do by yourself. Like you can't do this in the flesh by your own power because we're sinful, broken, and we tend to care way more about ourselves than we should. So when he says, you can have this mind, which is yours in Christ Jesus, he means the spirit of Christ dwells within you, that you shouldn't do this in your own power, but the Holy Spirit will indwell in you, enable you, equip you, empower you to actually say, you know what? It's not all about me today. It's not all about my needs. It's not all about my wants. It's not about all my preferences. And it's not all about me getting everything I desire today. That there's something more. And then he goes on. He says, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That of all the things that Jesus could have done, he chose to humble himself. That even though Jesus was always the most important person in the room, Jesus was always the first person to get down on his knees and wash somebody's feet. Jesus was always the person, even though he was the person that could have had all the attention whenever he he was with a group of people, Jesus always chose to use who he was to point his attention to someone else that he wanted to bless or redeem or have an encounter with. That Jesus was always the first guy that looked at those who had been forgotten, overlooked, and discarded. And he said, no, no, no. I didn't come for the healthy. I came for those who are sick. I came for you. That Jesus had every right not to be born in a manger, but to be born in a palace. That Jesus had every right to be worshiped, to live a life of indulgence, that he had every right to go, no, no, if anybody belongs in a castle with a feather bed with people adoring him, it's me. But Jesus said, no, I came to be a servant. I came to pour myself out. That's what Paul's saying is that Jesus was so obedient to his father. He said, hey, even though I could be worshipped like none other, even though I could be exalted like none other, I would choose to submit myself to my heavenly father that I would come and serve people to the point that he would be willing to die the most horrible death, the death on the cross. And that even his death on, a, on the cross would be an act of service. That he would die on the cross for your sin and for my sin. That he would die on the cross as a sacrifice that would appease the wrath of God so that we might have a relationship with God so that we could be fully forgiven, so we could be set free from the bondage of sin, so that we could be fully accepted sons and daughters of God, so that we could experience the kingdom of God in our lives as we await for Jesus to return again. And Jesus said in verse 9, says, "Therefore, Therefore, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, So that the name of Jesus, that every knee shall bow, and in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. Because you know why it's so significant? That you need to see who Jesus is, that you need need to see how he he treated people, how he entered a room, like how Jesus chose to live his life. Because that's how we're supposed to live. That the reason that when we get stagnant, when the reason that we believe that everything that comes our way is for us, it actually never satisfies, because you were created with a greater purpose. That your life based on you and for you will never be enough. When you live your life just trying to get your way and build your kingdom and establish your throne and get everything you want, it will always fall short. You will always need more because you were created for more. That we were designed by our Father to be like Jesus, who would pour himself out so that other people might be blessed. That Jesus would pour himself out so that people could be saved. That Jesus would pour himself out so people could see what their heavenly Father is like. And that we have been invited to live the same way. That when we choose to serve other people, when we choose to get low, when we choose to humble ourselves, and we choose to spend our emotion, to spend our time, to spend our energy, to spend our finances, to spend our brain power that we are actually the most like Jesus who was a servant. And that of all the things Jesus could have come as, he chose to be a servant. And our sinfulness and our brokenness will constantly try to pull us into the realm of selfishness. Listen, you and I, if we're completely honest, we wake up in the morning selfish. It is not hard work to think about ourselves, our wants, our desires, and our needs. It's automatic. It's part of our flesh. It is much harder to wake up in the morning and say, God, today it's about you. It's not about me. God, today my life, my resources, my breath, my finances, it's not all about me, God. It's about you and whatever you want me to do with it seen as a Christ follower. We would talk about the the word discipleship or sanctification, which are big words, but listen, the goal of a Christ follower is to be continually transformed to the image and the likeness of Jesus. And here's the thing. It is completely impossible to be self-centered and Christ-like at the same time. It is completely impossible to be arrogant and also be like Jesus at the same time because they are exact Opposites of one another. That Jesus wasn't arrogant. That he wasn't selfish. He wasn't even self centered. He was a humble servant who came to serve. And as a Christ follower, the Holy Spirit indwells in you, enables you, empowers you, calls for you to live your life for other people. You were created on purpose, with a purpose for a purpose. And the purpose isn't for you to build your kingdom and to get everything you want. In fact, the scripture would tell us that you have been given a spirit of power, of love, and of sound mind so that you could experience and that you could advance the kingdom of God in this world with your life. And the reality is, the reality is, and you already know this because you've experienced it on some level, that we discover happiness when we begin to pour ourselves out, just like Jesus poured himself out. And see, the reality is, is I think the church has to wake up a little bit. Like, I think, I think what's happened is we, we've become kind of subdued with this idea of church is just a, a thing we do. It's kind of where we go from time to time. But nowhere in Scripture was the church a place that people went. The church was the people. That you don't go to church, you are the church. And that we as a church exist pour ourselves out, not to establish our own, but to pour ourselves out. That we say it this way, that we believe saved people serve. And that, that we are called in Scripture to love God and love people. And one of the ways we prove that we love God and love people is by the way that we serve people. And our heart is to be obedient to Jesus. Our heart is to be like him, to model the servanthood that he had. And our hope is is that we serve other people. Those people would become saved people as well. That the church has got to wake up and not believe that everything's about them and for them. That we're here to be like Jesus. That we should have holes in our jeans because we are the first people to get down on our knees and say, I'm here to serve. It's not about me. It's not about my preference. It's not about what I want. It's not all about me, but I'm here to serve. And see, the incredible thing is that God has designed you with purpose, that every single one of you has gifts, talents, and abilities. And not only do you have that, you have what scripture would call spiritual gifts, that you have things that God has given you specifically that he has equipped you with so that you could accomplish the purposes he has for your life. That God has given you and equipped you and empowered you with everything you need to do what he's called you to do in his life. And that every single one of you is empowered. Every single one of you is equipped. Every single one of you has a skill that you bring to the table so that we can serve, so that we can love, so that we can care for the world around us. None of us were called to live for ourselves. None of us were called to build our own kingdom. None of us were called to get our own way and only care for ourselves, but we are called to be like Jesus. And come on, every single one of us in our lives can choose to be the Sea of Galilee. Water coming in and water going out. We can choose people to say, hey, as stuff comes in, as my energy comes in, as my finances come in, as my time comes in, you know what, I'm going to set some of that and just I'm going to release it and let it flow out. Or we can choose to be like the Dead Sea. And we could say, you know what? It's all about me. Everything that comes my way is for me. It's mine. It's in my checkbook. It's in my daytimer. It's all about me, 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 mine, me, me, mine, mine, me, me, mine. And you could do that. But I think history, and I think Jesus, and I think the entire nation of Israel would say, if you live that way, eventually you will dry up. Eventually the, the water will go away. And you'll discover that you're not happy. You're just all dried up and dying inside and so here's the thing if we really 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 want to be happy in our lives I believe with all my heart I believe it because Jesus not only said it but he modeled it for us in our lives that if we pour ourselves out that we would actually be filled up and discover happiness in our lives let me pray for us Thanks again for listening to this message from Redemption Church in Belvedere, Illinois, where we believe faith is a journey, not a guilt trip. Listen again next week, but in the meantime, visit us at redemption.cc.